0: This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said his country's forces were advancing, quote, step by step into the Kherson province of southern Ukraine. Heavy fighting was reported in the region, and one official claimed it could be, quote, liberated by September. The city of Kherson was one of the first to fall to the Russians after they invaded Ukraine in February. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, reassured his Egyptian counterpart in Cairo that commitments to export Russian grain would be honored. He also refuted allegations that Russia is, quote, exporting hunger. His trip came after Russian missiles struck the port of Odessa, casting doubt on the viability of a deal to unblock grain exports from Ukraine. Last year, Egypt bought four-fifths of its imported wheat from Russia and Ukraine. At least 17 Haitians died when their boat capsized off the coast of the Bahamas, while en route to Florida. 25 people were rescued and more were presumed missing. Recently there has been an uptick in the number of migrants from Haiti attempting to reach Miami by sea, to escape poverty and gang violence. The Oak Fire, near California's Yosemite National Park, has nearly tripled in size since igniting on Friday, torching some 14,000 acres five thousand six hundred sixty-five hectares. More than 6,000 people have been evacuated and 2,000 firefighters have been deployed. Meanwhile, several wildfires raged in Greece, including one on the island of Lesbos that forced the evacuation of more than 450 people. The House committee probing the Capitol riot plans to interview additional witnesses, including former members of Donald Trump's cabinet. In preparation for more hearings in September, Liz Cheney, the panel's vice chairwoman, said she would consider subpoenaing Ginny Thomas the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. The committee is, quote, absolutely looking at whether to refer Mr. Trump and his associates for criminal prosecution, she added. A former mayor and two other people were killed in a shooting at a graduation ceremony in Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Authorities said the attack appeared to be a targeted assassination, The suspect had two pistols and was arrested after a car chase. The World Health Organization declared monkeypox a global health emergency. More than 16,000 cases of the viral illness have been reported this year. The alert, the WHO's highest, was last used in January 2020 with SARS-CoV-2. It is meant to spur countries to mount a coordinated international response. Although monkeypox rarely kills healthy adults, it can be dangerous for children, pregnant women and immunocompromised people. And fact of the day, 250 million, the hoped-for viewership for this year's Women's Euros competition, up from 178 million in 2017.
1: And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead a criminal probe into Trump world. The House Committee investigating Donald Trump's interference in the 2020 election has laid a roadmap for federal prosecutors who could charge him with a crime related to his conduct. But it is in Atlanta, Georgia, where the former president and his henchmen face the most immediate legal peril. Fanny Willis, a local prosecutor, has been probing his efforts to overturn his loss in the state. She has subpoenaed dozens of witnesses, including Lindsey Graham, a U.S. senator, and Rudy Giuliani, Mr. Trump's former lawyer. On Monday, a grand jury will hear recorded testimony from Brian Kemp, the state's governor. Mr. Trump notoriously ordered Georgia's top election official to, quote, find enough votes to reverse his defeat. Soliciting election fraud is a crime in the state. Legal experts reckon that demand puts him at risk of getting indicted. Ms. Willis has already told the 16 electors who falsely cast the state's electoral votes for Mr. Trump that they are criminal targets. Asked whether she will subpoena Mr. Trump, she stays evasive. Quote, we'll just have to see. TUNISIA'S PRESIDENT TEARS UP THE COMPETITION Democracy can end with a whimper, not a bang. On Monday, Tunisians will vote on a new constitution. The charter would weaken parliament in favor of the president, giving him the right to hire and fire ministers and to impose an unlimited state of emergency. There would be no process for removing him. If approved, the constitution would consolidate a power grab by Kais Saied, the authoritarian-minded president who has ruled by decree since he suspended parliament last July. Unlike the country's 2014 constitution, drawn up in collaboration with the public in the wake of the Arab Spring, which began in Tunisia, the new one, which Mr. Saeed claims will, quote, correct the course of the revolution, was written largely in secret. Voters had less than a month to consider its contents. Mr. Saeed appointed Sadok Belaid, an accomplished law professor, to draft it, but Mr. Belaid says the final text is quite different from what he submitted. He calls it, quote, dangerous. Opposition groups have urged Tunisians to boycott the referendum. Turnout will probably be low. Eleven years after they toppled a dictator, many Tunisians have grown frustrated with impotent democratic leaders. But Mr. Syed has little to offer, except a return to the past. Politics in the Philippines, a generation game. The newly elected president, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos, will give the first annual address to Congress of his six-year term in Manila on Monday. Mr. Marcos has promised to set out his program of government. He barely mentioned his plans in his election campaign. Vague slogans were enough to persuade voters that he would forgo the killing and thieving characteristic of the dictatorial regime of his late father, the first president, Ferdinand Marcos, who was deposed by a popular uprising in 1986. The younger Marcos has a strong incentive to put into action a sensible democratic program as it would justify the political rehabilitation of his dynasty that would in turn improve the career prospects of the new president's own eldest son, Ferdinand Alexander Sandro Marcos, a newly elected congressman who will be in his father's audience on Monday. Ryanair's Soaring Fortunes European air travel has been anything but smooth this summer. Staff shortages have led to long queues, giant piles of suitcases, and angry passengers. But not everyone has been affected. Ryanair's customers have been spared the worst of the chaos. As executives will no doubt brag at an earnings call on Monday, that is thanks to careful planning. Unlike other airlines, Ryanair did not lay off large numbers of staff when the pandemic began thereby avoiding a last-minute race to rehire workers as travel demand rebounded. It also dodged soaring fuel prices by hedging its costs in advance. The airline is expected to report profit and earnings significantly better than a year ago. But there may be turbulence ahead. Michael O'Leary, the airline's boss, recently warned that flying is too cheap. Quote, structurally higher oil prices will force airfares to rise, he thinks and Ryanair is not completely immune from staffing woes. On Monday, workers in Spain will walk out, demanding better working conditions. The Rise and Rise of Franchise Cricket When the International Cricket Council, the sports governing body, sets out the next year's playing calendar at its annual general meeting on Monday, The real insight lies not in when matches are being played, but when they aren't. As lucrative franchise leagues take off around the world, the ICC is increasingly prioritizing domestic competitions over international test matches. In this year's schedule, the Indian Premier League, the most valuable competition in cricket, is expected to get an official two and a half month window where almost no international cricket will be played. That will allow the league to attract more players. Other less profitable leagues will not get quite the same concessions, but the ICC is poised to give England and Australia breaks from international games during their own tournaments so local players can compete. But while the proliferation of cricket may entertain fans, it risks burning out players. Last week, Ben Stokes... England's 31-year-old test captain, retired from one-day international cricket. His body, he said, was, quote, letting him down. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 Hours BST on Friday to economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. What do vexillologists study? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Rosalind Franklin, who was born on this day in 1920 Science and everyday life cannot and should not be separated. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app.